and welcome back to Bourbon Barrel Talk. I'm your host, Scott Minton. Today, we are sitting down with our fellas from Starlight, uh, Mr. Uh, Blake and Mr. Christian. How are we doing, fellas? Doing well. Thanks for having us. Very good. Thank you for having us. Good, good, good. And uh, we have Ofo Fanboy in the house, Mr. Josh. How are we doing? What's up? And uh, J- Mr. Hey. Mr. Hey. Jasnoff, hey. the schnoff. Hey. We actually have the whole crew here today. We do. It feels a little weird. It's very crowded. I, I was just saying earlier, I hadn't seen the schnoff since like... I want to say last June or July. It's been a minute. We were here to do a single barrel pick. COVID, COVID sucks. COVID does suck. <laughs> it's ruined a lot of things. <laughs> but COVID's over. Absolutely. So <laughs> at least that's what they tell us. <laughs> well, we we don't have to wear a mask anymore, so that's at least a positive. Yeah, yeah. over here, over across Indiana. the bridge, we do. Listen, that's right. We're we're in the sunny side of the river. And have we talked this conversation a couple times? The water is better over here. The water is better in Indiana. So it's limestone water too. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. You know, Blake, you you didn't have a chance to, to be here with us the last time we had this conversation, so we wanted to come back out, talk to you a little bit, you know, figure out what's new, what's going on with Starlight, all that type of stuff, and then and let you introduce yourself, you know, to our uh, Bourbon Barrel Talk family. So if, if you don't mind, give us a little five-minute elevator pitch here on, you know, who you are, what you do, all that good stuff. Uh, well, my name's Blake Huber, and honestly, last time it's a pleasure being on here with you guys today, but kind of what's been going on throughout my life and kind of where I'm at today is... I've always obviously grown up around the industry, been in the distillation. You've heard Christian talk before about kind of our heritage growing up with the distilling industry, making brandies in our early years on the Christian Carl still, coming back now, having the Vendome still and moving into grain-based spirits now. And then I really wanted after high school to kind of uh, kind of fully go towards the beverage alcohol industry. So I decided to go to Cornell University for viticulture and enology where I just recently graduated last uh, spring for for that particular uh, degree, viticulture enology, and a little disappointing, didn't get to actually graduate fully, but hopefully in the future, who knows, five-year class reunion, we'll get to uh, go back up there and uh, enjoy a little of the celebrations at that point, but it was a fantastic experience. I got to meet a lot of great people and connections, and that kind of drove me after that. COVID kind of ended the school year a little prematurely last year, and then I decided to apply to some internships in Napa Valley to where uh, over the fall time in uh, 2020, I actually uh, did internships at Domain Chandon and Dominus with their actual grape harvest. And it was a great experience as well. Got to meet a lot of great people and learn from some of the best in the industry and Napa Valley obviously being the predominant wine region in the United States and really getting to see how their production works. and just broadening my horizons from that. Now I'm currently back here full time. And as you know, you see all of our kind of names throughout the bottles and everything, Christian, dad, and I, and we have a fantastic team that works over in the distillery and getting to work with everybody every day and getting to experiment so much here with the craftsmanship, the art is something that's truthfully something that I really look forward to every day and something that drives me to keep going on this career path in distillation and winemaking. So how did that, uh, the, the internship, you know, change the way you do things here, here at Huber's today? Uh, I would say that it really opened your eyes to some different possibilities. And obviously you see how others kind of define their operations throughout the facility. How are they looking at blending of different wines? How are they looking at 
bringing in the grapes? What are they kind of the parameters, their chemistry behind their knowledge and their decisions? And it really kind of opens your eyes to some different aspects and that everybody has a different opinion on things. And there's no truthfully one right answer. And that's where you can have to kind of define yourself and be your own. And as we kind of talk throughout today about Starlight Distillery, how we've kind of used our winemaking background and really made ourselves our own within the industry and finding our finishing projects that we do, kind of redefining how we run the still, how we're making cuts, using our different cooperages, and how all these things create the unique brand that we've kind of built today and we're continuing to build because obviously we still have a a lot of ways to go as whiskey keeps getting older and older we love to see some of the progression there some of the things that we still need to tweak in the balance and then continuously kind of improve upon ourselves and I think that's where the internships really kind of open your eyes and continuously learn new experiences each and every day. So you mentioned the finishing you know that that, that's something that that over the years, like I, I've noticed that you guys have really, really, you know, done a whole bunch on finishing. So you guys want to tell us a little bit more about, you know, what you're doing today and kind of what's coming, you know, in the next, you know, few months as far as finishing products and, and other things to that nature. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's no lie that we're not afraid to try new things and think outside the box. Um, here at Starlight, like I said, we've been uh, creative in the lack of using our wine knowledge. Um, me and Blake both, like I said, graduating from viticulture enology based schools and having that winemaking knowledge has been very beneficial going into the actually finishing process. There's not many distillers out there that have the winemaking background, Uh, most notably probably Mark and Sherry Carter from Old Carter being in their wine background. Um, And then there's us. Um, So when you think about finishing, we didn't in turn think of it as a normal, you know, distillery would. Uh, We thought about the regions, the wine itself, and really smelling the barrels and capture the essence. And I'll go with that in a minute, but we crafted whiskey to match that barrel. Um, so lack of a better term, so one of the unique projects we have coming up um, is the Tokai barrels. Um, Tokai will probably be out here in about six, seven weeks, depending on it. Um, but we truly capture the essence of what Tokai is. And those who are listening who don't know what Tokai, um, it's a botrytized wine, which means a sweet wine from Hungary. It's made with the ferment grape, um, but it's more of like an ice wine for layman's terms. Um, but when you think about what you know a sweet ice wine truly is, um, there's different levels of ice wine. There's like the dessert, late harvest, ice wine level, and then you got even one a little bit further up, uh, which is this Britannomyce, or Britannomyce, this uh, Botrytis-infected uh, grape. And these Botrytis-infected grapes have different levels. I mean, if it's just partially Botrytis-infected, it's level one, all the way into what this uh, Essentia level is, which is the total Botrytis-infected, or total, or TBA. Uh, so we source the highest quality barrels, that Essentia-level barrels, and then we have to get them over really, really quickly so that we make sure there's no disulfide, sulfurine issues. And there's a lot of stuff that could go wrong with the barrel in the shipping process. Uh, so we had to take time to actually drive down to the actual, um, what we want to call importers, and smell each individual cask. And again, there's ones that go off. Um, again, my my importer a lot of times say I'm harder to work for, and me and Blake are than Brown Foreman, Pernod Ricard, and Diageo put together because we look for these subtle nuances. And again, having that wine knowledge and being such a small house, you know, four barrels really, really impact our bottom line. So we have to be very, very careful. 
Um, so when we're down there, we're smelling for different faults. We're looking the integrity of the wood um, and the authenticity of the product. Uh, once we select the barrels, or even if we select the barrels, there's a lot of times that we walk away with nothing. Um, we come back up here, we smell the barrels, um, and then we have a game plan. We blend the whiskey to that barrel. We don't make a blend and then put it in a barrel and try to make the whiskey match the barrel. Like we truly make the individual cask representative of what it is. And then different vintage to vintage, there's some that are sweeter, some that are drier. Um, so we have to take that into effect if we're gonna blend more four grain, more three grain, more Canton barrels, more smoky Kelvin barrels to really represent what that blend and how that cask is gonna finish it. Um, and then going even further than that, we do different agings on it. Some barrels age quicker than others. And I know Blake can talk about that here in a second, give him a chance to jump back in. But there's a lot of parameters that normal distilleries say, oh, we'll buy port barrels, we'll blend our big bulk blend in there, keep it for 24 months, and that's what the product's going to be. Um, and I'm telling you, there's a lot of variability, cast to cast, vintage to vintage, producer to producer, that that ability to have that fault or have that, you know, not there yet product is there. And that's why you have to take the hand. And that's why smaller distilleries, in my opinion, have that, you know, that edge on the larger guys when it comes to that program. Gotcha. So one one of the more recent ones that you all released is one of my favorites and I've killed it, you know, already one bottle and I'm already into my second one is the VDN in the rye. Um, How do you know, what do you put in each barrel? Like for a VDN, how did you know, Hey, I'm going to put a rye in here versus a bourbon, you know, or a high rye bourbon or things like that. So what makes you all, you know, put mix a bourbon or a rye with a specific barrel? It's the smell, dude. Come on. They said it's all about the smell. Yeah, smell and taste. Yeah, so when we're actually looking at these individual casks and kind of going through and actually judging and predetermining kind of what we're going to put into these, as Christian mentioned, it's the authenticity of the actual product itself. And when you're looking for that Vino de Naranja, is that acronym VDN? And as it's mentioned, it's the bitter orange peel that's soaked in the distillate then infused back into that grape juice in order to create this very kind of elegant, fortified wine. And really, when we wanted to capture that, we're always going to come in and, as we mentioned here now, smell the barrels. And we're going to get an idea of what's actually in that barrel. And then from those ideas, I mean, when we're thinking about orange peel going through your mind, we're thinking that our rye, a lot of the time, tends to have a lot of this nice orange peel citrus to it and the sweetness that kind of coats it itself. And when we're looking at that bourbon versus rye as well, it's kind of experiments at that point because normally when we do a new finishing project like a VDN, we'll usually start on a smaller scale, have a couple barrels come in, maybe he'll have an extra one, we'll kind of go down and we'll trial it because usually we'll try to do one bourbon, one rye, or a particular product really works better with one or the other. That's where we'll kind of make the determination. And as Christian mentioned before, it's never a kind of a predetermined blend that's going to go into those barrels. It's always going to go off, and people kind of look at us sometimes that we're using seven different cooperages now, and that it's kind of crazy how do we ever keep consistency. But for us, it's easy because with so many different profiles to pull from, when you're making a blend... you always want to make the whole better than the parts where you're going to complement and you're going to kind of actually kind of bridge the gap or maybe that kind of different fault that had been in that individual barrel and you're going to kind of build it up because whether it had a really great nose on it, whether it had a great mouth feel, it had a great finish, 
everything that you do in that blend, you really want all that to come together and kind of tie a bow on the present in an S in an essence and complement that finishing barrel and its profile, but not yet override what the product actually is. So whether it's rye or bourbon itself. And, you know, building off that exact comment, I mean, that didn't come overnight. I mean, we're very young. We're still learning. Uh, Blake, 23, I'm 25 years old. Have you all consumed anything older than you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day... I've got tennis shoes older than both. That is a weird statement to ask. (laughs) Hey, 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 they're young. (laughs) But, you know, Scott has tennis shoes older than them. I just wanted to know. Well, and at the end of the day, though, um, you have to realize we were born into, you know, a very weird situation with our distillery. An awesome situation. Oh, yeah. it's We were growing up in a time period where... Me and Blake saw Dave Pickerel every, you know, four or five weeks, you know, staying at our house. I mean, Wes Henderson, um, Dave Perkins, I mean, Lisa Wicker. I mean, they were in and out, in and out. Um, and these were the mentors when we were way before we were 21, 12, 13, 14 years old. You didn't drink before you were 21, though, right? You don't have to answer that. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. We were, you know, grown into a family where we were constantly smelling, tasting, analyzing spirits when we were young and we were able to figure out our palates and then from there going off to university and truly figuring out what we enjoyed and kind of bridging off of what our father had getting out of that house palette or getting rid of uh you know just the stereotype what starlight is and start you know really tasting getting out there blake of course we both worked for chandon under pauline lahote really great i mean winemaker out there at chandon um but learning off these winemakers, I mean, I'd worked for Cake Bread and Joseph Phelps, Blake with Christian Moex at Dominus. I mean, legendary palettes. I mean, Chateau Petrus is probably one of the most allocated, most rare wines out there in the world. But when it comes to just listening and getting to hear how those guys taste and how they blend, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to bourbon. And a lot of people try. Um, but, you know, if you listen, you learn, and you you know, able to make your own style and own it, you know, truly be proud of your craft. And again, we come from winemaking backgrounds. That's why we use seven different cooperages. You know, a lot of these different cooperages are one, two, three, and four chars. We use toasted barrels. We used, you know, charred barrels. We used toasted head, charred heads. We go from, you know, 12 month air dried all the way up to five year air dried wood. And all that different portfolio, all those little tweaks we do for a reason, right? Air dried woods, less tannin, more toasted barrels that lead to more lignin. You know, those char number threes that are toasted as well that have those hemocellulose bonds that are going over the caramel butterscotch and Blake, you can jump into that. And I I would say this truthfully as well is that when Christian's mentioning not reinventing the wheel, it's really capturing the essence of what you're going for. And for us here, we want to not reinvent bourbon, but we want our own take on what bourbon is and using these high distillation cuts to capture the fruitiness, doing our different barrel entry proofs that we do with our different cooperages, the one through four char, the air drying to leach out those harsher tannins that's going to give you a more balanced mouthfeel in the end. All these thin things lead towards the end goal, which you kind of see on the shelves now as Starlight Distillery. And in the essence as well is that we realize that each and every consumer in the market has a different palate. Everybody's going to taste things differently. And whenever we do single barrel selections, whenever we're doing blending, we always love to have a variety out there because not each and every person are going to agree that 
this is the best of the best thing. But with so many different options, you can truthfully find something that you love within our actual portfolio here with everything that we do because we're here for the consumer as well. We want to work with everybody. We want to find what in the bourbon world, what in the spirit world do you truthfully love? And we make fantastic brandies here as well. That's where we got our start. And some of our brandies are the best in the United States for sure, award-winning across the board. And that really kind of drove us on that very kind of nuanced, very kind of fruit forward because when you're making brandies you really want to kind of capture the essence of the fruit that you're doing because if you have an apple brandy that doesn't have that apple fruitiness consumers are going to kind of look at that and say okay is this it is something that was aged into a toasted barrel it's giving you some sweetness from these wood sugars you're getting some of that finesse and balance and that tannin within the mouth but having that amplification of what it actually is and that essence of the fruit is important and for grain wise it's still the same thing where you can taste the rye you can get the malt you can have the sweetness of the corn and then that nice kind of sweet almost spice characteristic that clove characteristic that comes from wheat itself and really you're looking at each one of those things during the distillation run and it's really cool to see that because as everybody knows, distillation is a simple process, just evaporation, condensation. But these different aromatics come over at different points during the actual run of the still. And at certain points, you're going to pick up on more things. And so during the run, when we're over here tasting constantly, you're seeing kind of the evolution through the time of that distillation till you get to a point to where we feel like, we don't want some of these things, some more of these heavier compounds, these fusel alcohols to come through in the distillate. And in the end, we hope that we captured the essence of what that mash bill and what we are wanting to put into that barrel actually is. And again, it comes down to uh, what me and you like are very, very different from each other too. And that's another thing that our, um, our distillery captures is the difference between distiller, distiller, brother to brother, or brother to dad. Um, we all have different palates. And we all blend very differently. That's why we have T. Huber, B. Huber, and C. Huber on our bottles. So you can see who actually, you know, was blending that day. Who picked that barrel? Because at the end of the day, I mean, I'll be unapologetic and say I'm a 36% rye and Jupica. I mean, I collected Sarah barrels, those old scout picks forever. Same thing with uh, Willet or Willet's 95.5. I loved them. Um, Blake, I mean, you can talk about Four Roses day in and day out, and Dad follows following under more of the old Forester kind of style. But oh snap, that's why I figured out I liked your Dad's pick from the Christmas, uh, the holiday release. It mm-hmm. makes sense now. But it, I mean, it comes down to really, truly, like we have different palettes. You know, we got to own each individual instead of you know blending to make this homogenous blend, but also representing like, hey. This is something unique, and this is what we're proud to be putting out. When you know, brother, brother, or dad. Yeah. I, I'm super glad you went down that path because I was about to ask you guys, what was the variation in this season's holiday your your holiday gold wax dipped picks? Mm-hmm. And I came up on whenever that was somewhere around the holiday season, and I ended up picking two of them. But your dad's pick was the favorite of mine personally. Mm-hmm but I'm a huge old Forester fan. So that makes sense that what your dad picked is one that is like my jam. Well, it comes down to it. I mean, everyone, I think now we have followers of B, C, and T Hubers. I mean, it just, they're all so different. I mean, it's different cooperages, different proof levels. You know, I go more floral and orange peel. And I mean, 
we all have our take of what we really love to enjoy within single barrels. And I mean, our gift shop releases are a way for us to, you know, show our individual palette uh, as a, as a whole. Now, again, when we blend, I mean, it's more of me, dad and Blake all working together as a team to figure out that we want to add a little bit more spice for this particular barrel, or we want to do this as the blend. Uh, you guys, before we got on, um, we tried our double oaked as us three. I mean, you can definitely see the heavy influence of the Canton barrels, but definitely me and Blake's take of what bottle and bond is floral fruit driven you know those light pear that peachy the nectarine um, but those really soft you know vanilla and burnt caramel wood sugars that are definitely prevalent in it and you guys can speak because you tasted it and i mean that's coming out here it, in it was really it was really smooth and creamy really yeah. appreciated it um but going along to the mash build so i mean obviously each one of you guys you've created your name you've created a label uh you've done a phenomenal job of doing that but I got to hear, I mean, what's your favorite mash build to make? And then what's your least favorite to make as well? Because there's obviously one out there. You're just like, man, this is not, this is just not very good and, and kind of just trash it. But each one of you guys probably has a different opinion on that. So I'm really curious to hear. Uh, I would say that obviously we experiment four grain, three grain. So our four grain being a 51% corn, 20% rye, 20% malted barley, 9% wheat, and then our three grain. So 60, 20, 20, 60 corn. 20 malt, 20 rye are our big time standard kind of mash bills that we run here. And something that we tried early on more as an experiment to test our different heirloom corn varieties. So having four different heirloom corn varieties are that we actually uh, did some high corn bourbon. So 90% corn, 10% malted barley in the end. And that's not something that we always truthfully loved because it was more in essence to capture what those corn varieties were going to kind of pertain throughout the distillation runs. And without rye, we're all big rye fans. So my father, Christian, and I are all huge rye fans because we love the spice. We love that kind of little bit of that heat in the back that just gives you this nice savory kind of finish that makes you want to have another drink. And obviously corn being the predominant grain in there adds the sweetness, but too much sometimes you lack a lot of complexity in the end so having so a four grain mash bill with even that just slightest amount of wheat because sometimes people are like i don't like weeded bourbons but just enough in the back to kind of soften the finish add a little bit as i always mention if anybody's had some wheat beer so belgium wheat beers anything there's an actual kind of chemical kind of path that happens that actually creates this clove characteristic through wheat through this transformation from ferulic uh, acid and so it's very interesting to see that kind of thing. And it just adds an extra layer of complexity. And we're always, as you mentioned here, when we're making these blends, we keep a layering on complexity. Mm-hmm. And so we love these kind of differences in profile that that drives. Yeah. And going back to it, I mean, there's there's experiments that we definitely, you know, have not worked. I mean, that Starlight, you know, you see all these weird and wild barrels, but a lot of people don't see what didn't work. Um, and again, we put barrels back all the time, you know, to trial something, you know, at one point, Blake mentioned the corn whiskey. And then sometimes we did these, uh, aromatic small or smoked malts as well. And, you know, here personally, I mean, we're large enough to know that we don't have to put those products out just because we don't, we don't like them. Um, and again, maybe someone did, but you know, it wasn't a representation of what the family wanted. Um, so we keep those back or we actually blend those out into blackberry whiskey and different programs. Cause at the end of the day, 
for Starlight, we want to put something on the shelf that people are going to be proud of. I mean, we have a lot of things going against us. And for those who know where we're located, we're 20 minutes from downtown Louisville, Kentucky. We are closer to Louisville, Kentucky than Makers, than Woodford, to the actual home of it. But we are on the wrong side of the river. And that river, still to this day, is such a big, um, called a Berlin Wall. I mean, it uh, is. A, according uh, to some people. Yeah. yeah. Then again, NGP is still in right Indiana. Here. Yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. I mean, but it also makes us put really good whiskey in the barrel. Because at the end of the day, when you're trying rye, when you're trying bourbon especially, you know, we're going up against the Giants. I mean, we're right in the backyard of Michter's Old Forester and all the big, if it's Diageo, Pernod Ricard, and a Brown Foreman, Cooperage, Sizer Act, they're in our backyards. And those are local whiskeys to us. And we're a local craft whiskey. So when we looked at it and we were looking at, you know, what styles to go with, I mean, we had to own our category and we knew we had to really come out with really great whiskey. And that's why we, you know, had to really put our best foot forward and, you know, be picky with our own whiskey. You know, if it's mediocrity, we didn't want it because we knew what we had to put in bottle was going to make or break us very early on. Um, the other thing that was against us was that we were a non-NGP brand. You know, NGP had this great name all of a sudden, but we were still craft whiskey in Indiana that was not NGP. And that was another thing that, you know, we got lucky for a while because our bottles say distilled, like distilled bottle and age in Indiana at Starlight Distillery. You know, when people saw that, they were like, oh, it's an NGP, and maybe they picked it up, and then they realized this is an NGP. I mean, we just do not have this very similar mash bill. Right. Um but, I mean, we had to uh, reinvent ourselves when it came to what we were putting in the bottle. So that consumer, when you guys open that bottle, I mean, why do you spend 49 bucks on our single barrel when you go buy Booker's, when you go buy Baker's, or whatever it might be? I mean, we had to put our best foot in our family, you know, put that sustainability, put our authenticity into our whiskey, and truly show what the family can do and shoot at a high caliber. And we can't wait till we get you know, older and older and older whiskey as well. Um, there's growth plans we can talk about uh, here in a second, but we're, we really had to be careful with a lot of that, as you call non-favorite mash bills or, you know, projects that didn't work. So, so, so which is your favorite? I mean, do you prefer the 60, 20, 20? Like if you're going to drink one tomorrow, like if, I, if you're going to crack one, I mean, are you more of the four grain? I mean, at, last year I was definitely in the three gearing camp for what it was. I mean, there's no lie that uh, Kelvin Char number three or toasted Kelvin Char number three with those toasted heads really worked out really well for our three grain. Um, but this year, I mean, these Canton, you know, three to four charred charred heads, uh, toasted, um, then flash charred. I mean, those are uh, really becoming quickly my favorite because they have an added layer of fruit mixed with those, you know, caramel, salted caramel, burnt toffee, wood sugars that I really enjoyed. Um, again, I, I won't say I have a favorite. I have favorite barrel lots, I think, more than others. The, they're not old enough to have favorite kids yet, Scott, but, mm-hmm. you know, one day they'll have a favorite kid just like you. Well, how about you, Blake? Do you, is there one that, that, that sticks out for you right now or – Honestly, I kind of agree with Christian on some of the aspect is with the three grain, I really feel like I like the three grain and some of the Kelvin barrels towards that kind of summertime last year to where we're tasting through some of those. They were so rich and bold and complex and they tasted a lot older than they actually 
were uh, at the time, so four to four and a half years is when we were tasting them, and they just had such maturity about them that it really came together, and that mash bill with a little bit more shoulders, a little bit more complexity, heavy, dropping that weed out in the back, actually kind of really complemented the Kelvin barrel. And as Christian mentioned too, this year we've gotten into a lot of Canton four grain barrels that that fruitiness and that finesse that Canton really drives is what that four grain likes because there's so much finesse and balance within our four grain that we drive. And Canton really just layers on the complexity without overpowering because something with Kelvin sometimes is that we actually can get a little too much of the smokiness and it can overpower the actual bourbon itself and you can get a little bit more of a burnt whiskey at that point. And so whereas Canton, you're never really going to go over that point, but sometimes you might not get one that has as much complexity as you're looking for, as much of those barrel sugars. And as consumers, if you didn't realize out there, 70% of what actually we describe in bourbon comes from the barrel itself. So it's so critical to look at your cooperage and to really know what you're wanting to pull from each one of these. And that's why it's so important because we feel like we have a scale of cooperages here to where we're pulling different cooperages for different mash bills as well as different profiles that we're trying to achieve in the end because now that we have started to get whiskey of age and continuously to age whiskey, we realize things that have worked and not worked. And as Christian mentioned, that's the experimental process that we go through. And when you're looking at these different mash bills and everything, and there's really just some of those pinnacle points, and even though we don't have a particular favorite, there's the shining stars among the bunches out there in those particular lots that really have showed well in things that we look back on now because we always take some good records. We're always riding on the barrels, entry proofs. We're looking at the mash bills, trying to get what kind of type of corn it was, whether it was Bloody Butcher, Blue Hopi, Lancaster White, or Yellow Den. All those play a factor in what that is. And without good records, we couldn't look back and say, okay, this is what we did on this particular day. Even though that we're uniquely cutting the still each and every time, we can still kind of realize what we're doing and go back and not replicate it, but really kind of complement and really try to achieve what we did before. Well, and going off that too, it's the, uh, you know, we make vintage whiskey. We make the best whiskey of the year of the day, right? We don't go over this standard operating procedure of that we have to, you know, this much heads, this much is where you cut to tails. I mean, we don't follow that philosophy. And again, that doesn't work for a larger distillery for sure. But making the best whiskey that day and, you know, keeping those records of, you know, it was this cornfield, this rye field, it was milled this day, the cook went like this, and then went into this warehouse on this row, it was it north facing, south facing, that we're all starting to figure that out. And you know what? The aging now of our whiskey is playing a factor because now we're sitting on some seven barrel or seven year barrels going on to eight. And you're starting to see the play difference between, you know, fours and fives and then six and sevens. And we're, you know, we're geeks at heart, right? I mean, coming from where we're at, we really take a lot of notes and a lot of tear or a lot of time into, you know, really seeing the difference between, you know, the one side of the rickhouse gets much hotter. So those six tier barrels, I mean, for those who are, who are st- uh, like wondering about how our rickhouse is set up, it is on racks, uh, six high, so six tiers. And they're, like I said, they range in size for how long they are, but there is a difference between, you know, those six tier barrels and those first tier barrels. 
we didn't notice much difference between four and five year, but really at year seven, we're starting to notice the difference between those bottom barrels and those top barrels, um, both with proof and then with the actual extraction. So we're just getting into, you know, even more geekiness that we can play with. Are you finding that the angel share is a lot higher on those higher record on those higher tiers? Well, what we're doing as well though, is because Christian mentioned the racking system. So it's not like your traditional Rick to where all those barrels are really pressed in there. You have a lot of confinement there. We have a lot of airflow, open airflow through our Rick house to where they're actually having, even though we do have variation within our barrels in terms of aging, those top ones, obviously we have temperature thermometers outside that we constantly monitor, even though we could get 20 degrees hotter at barrel number six, as opposed to barrel number one, we do rotate our barrels, but this airflow that's constantly through there helps our aging with more consistency because a lot of the times you find some of those whiskeys sometimes that have aged at the top of those warehouses that have really gone up in proof. They've kind of honestly gone past this point of balance. And I always talk about this in a lot of different interviews and to clients and our customers that come up here to visit Starlight Distillery. And honestly, I tell them all the time that age is just a number on the barrel. That doesn't mean that the whiskey is inherently better the older it gets. Because in an essence, as I mentioned before, you're looking for all these different parameters, all these different tangible properties and intangible so the aromatics the mouthfeel the finish the color how is what the proof of the whiskeys is it balanced in the mouthfeel does it feel like it's too heavy does it feel like it's too light all these things play on what makes a whiskey truthfully great and the age does have an impact on kind of mellowing out some of that more youthful kind of distillate kind of fieriness that it comes from but it doesn't truthfully mean that if it's a 12-year whiskey, it's better than if it was eight because maybe you've gone, we always like to see our barrels kind of exponentially get better and better with each and every year. But at some point, you're going to level off to where you've extracted all those aromas, they've integrated within the bourbon, you have the right mouthfeel, and then as you keep going in ages, you might get that, as we mentioned, the angel series. So you have this condensing within the barrel to where your volume at the start was that 53 gallon barrel, but as you keep condensing, losing that eulage over time, you're going to lose that balance. You're going to get too much tannin within that spirit. You're going to get too much of these guayacol, that smokiness that you get from uh, whiskey as well. You might get too much of these wood sugars to where it's out of balance at that point. So if that whiskey was bottled at a younger age, you might've hit all these things when everything was balanced out. Whereas an older whiskey, truthfully, it is a 12-year whiskey, but was that the best representation of that particular barrel? And that's, we can't speak for everybody's barrels, but for us, we're always looking to this point to where, when does it stop improving? And when are we hitting a point to where it's starting to lose its balance, its finesse that we have there for our particular barrels, mash bills, and everything. Yeah, and again, a lot of people in bourbon chase age statements. They still do. I mean, inherently, I did for a very, very long time. But we're not Scotland. I mean, the when it comes down to actual the barrels we use, the actual climate that we're in, our GDD, and the traditional aging warehouses that we have, it's very, very different, right? Those phenolic compounds that we have, you know, naturally within guacol with those really char four barrels, I mean, we start concentrating them. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I love my hazmat barrels as well. Those 144s, there's a time and place for it. Do you have some hazmats? I'm, 
we at this point, like I say, stay at 125. I mean, as our max. I mean, we might have some 126s out there. But when going off my brother saying there is a time where the whiskey is more balanced at a young, youthful age. I mean, most notably, I think people can talk about, you know, Knob Creek, you know, going from nine to 15 and how different those barrels are. And I'm, like I said, one of my favorite brands that I love to have around. But you can see the 15, the nutty, the smokiness versus, you know, the fruit notes of the younger ones. And there's no right nor wrong, but I always tell people I prefer the younger ones over the older ones. And it's just my opinion. Um, and again, there's people out here that are listening, probably shaking their heads. No, but it just, it comes down to person to person. Again, I like fruit. I like floral. I like this. So I want to go after the style, but Blake's, uh, when he's right, whenever it talks about, you know, everyone is subjective of where it is, but there is a time and place where that whiskey is going to sit balanced. Every warehouse is going to be different. Every distillery smash bill is going to be different. So that plays into the factor of it. Um, but again, I mean, you have to really look at that exponential growth to where that barrel really starts, you know, going out of balance, you know, your, your, your wood tannins, your bitterness. So, so what, what are you all looking forward to over the next, say six months to 18 months? Like what's in the future that you all just can't wait to see what's happening as far as like maybe something you got aging, maybe a different mash bill, things like that. Well, we got uh, quite a few things that are coming out here in the next, you know, 18, 24, you know, months coming in the future. Uh, what's really exciting that we're putting up Warehouse 4. Um, so Warehouse 4 will be the largest warehouse that we'll have in our property aging. Uh, again, traditional, like I said, six tiers high, and that's kind of where we like our warehouses at. Uh, so Warehouse 4 is going to give us a lot more space um, to get our age statement up as well. Um, and then looking inside to the still house, the still house itself is going to get a makeover. We're actually buying four new fermenters. Uh, so we have four going and we're buying four more. So that doubles output to get that age statement up for us as well. Um, and that hopefully will lead into, you know, having those six, seven, eight year picks. Um, again, not being bought whiskey. We got to wait six, seven, eight, nine years before we can ever get into those barrels. Um, but we saw the trend with our brand and we can't thank everyone that's listening and thank you guys for getting on. Just, you know, how many people are, you know, tasting Starlight, drinking Starlight, talking about Starlight. You know, that really buzz has helped us get to the where we are today. But we also know that we want you guys to grow with us. You, We want you to try that four-year, five-year right now. And then maybe next year we're going to do more five-year picks and six-year picks and seven-year picks. Um, but for us to sustainably do that, I mean, the still house is going to have a makeover. We're working with Vendome, getting a new still as well, um, new bottling lines, new facility. And, again, our team is growing and our family here is growing as well. So when you're looking at Starlight production-wise, and I'll let Blake talk about some of the experimental casts that are coming into play, but when you're talking about, you know, the output of what Starlight's doing, we're really going to, you know, sustainably grow our volume of barrels putting back year after year. So we can go and hire, because we don't know what Starlight is technically over eight years right now. Um, we want to kind of, you know, figure out where that barrel is best suited at, right? We're still seeing this exponential growth, and we just can't wait to, you know, understand where that peaking point is, but also which cooperage, where is it peak, where's Kelvin peak at for us, where's Canton peak, where's ISC peak for us. Um, and we hope you guys are along for the ride as well. Absolutely. I'm 100% here. So you, yep. you just mentioned the steel real quick, and, and just if you don't mind, piggyback this just real quick, and then we'll let Blake finish up on that other uh, conversation. Is uh, what size steel are y'all running right now? And you said you were talking about getting a new steel. Yeah, so right now we're you know constantly 
running a 500 gallon vendome brass and copper and again that vendome is beautiful and it, it is one of the most i call it like a cadillac one of the most smooth things to run um again we're all done by hand uh so all the cuts done by hand and i really really love how we have that big pot big onion big gooseneck two percent you know lyre arm coming back to the pot and really can clean that distillate up with a five plate heavy deflamator you know adjacent to the still um, but again, we're just, you know, flirting around the idea of going to buy a much larger, you know, pot. Uh, we're going to stay with pot production just because we truly, you know, love what we're doing with pot stills. Um, but we take a very unique spin on pot stills. I think we clean it up much more than the average person. Again, there's a lot of pot still distilleries out there now. Um, but for us, we really take the time to do double pot distillation on everything, really, really cleaning it up, uh, looking for those subtle nuances, you know, capturing those esters that we want, you know, taking off the heavier, you know, oilier, those fatty air acids, taking those out. Um, but again, we're, as we're getting the new fermenters in, um, now we're starting to look into what kind of still and kind of what our, uh, design is going to be for it uh, again different shapes different sizes um, really play a factor in how much oils that you're going to take across um, so when you're looking at what starlight's going to do in the future we want to carry on the tradition of those very very fruitier esters those higher rye mash bills and again we did our first the very first still we have over there right now is a custom built so again we're looking more of that custom design you know mocking after the one we have and just you know taking it a little bit larger for us um, that way we can have those outputs, put those barrels back, um, but also being able to keep the family, uh, myself, my brother, my dad, Jesse, Jason, and Ryan, being able to still cut everything. Um, we were even, you know, flirting around doing a column as well. So it'll be interesting to decide of what we're going to end up with, but we're really excited to, you know, you know, start the conversation finally again to see like, what is the new still going to look like? Do you think with the new still, you guys might kind of venture around with those proofs maybe kick it up a little bit higher of an entry proof uh, we yeah blaking so for <clears throat> for entry proofs for us so 125 is the legal maximum that you can actually enter the barrel at and for us with our actual warehousing that we have now it's very unless we have a longevity of aging it's very hard for us to see as much of an increase as some of these kentucky distilleries because what we have around this area as well that places like texas arizona if you're aging whiskey in those places ha don't have is the humidity because you have some of this replenishment and the humidity from the air itself and honestly in our rickhouses even though we're having a big temperature differential we're also not uh six like uh six seven stories high to where in that top of the warehouse it's 120 130 degrees what it feels like up there where you're having a lot of this aging this proofing up and 120 and we will we do do some at 124 125 right on the mark so down the road you will see probably some maybe 126 127 but with our kind of our difference in our ricking system and everything that we do here it's very hard to achieve maybe that 134 136 legally basically right. for that gotcha so well is there anything else you all want to talk about as far as like what's Starlight doing or do you want to tell people how they can get a hold of you guys, that type of thing? Or do you Yeah. Well, and I've been saving some fun news for the very, very last. I mean, this is our hundred and seventy eighth harvest and of course this year we have many fun, you know, projects on the way and you know, highlighting some of the stuff that some people might know, some people might not, depends if you're here and did a single barrel or not. 
Um, but we have a lot of very fun catch finishes that are going to be coming out this year. Um, and I think the highlight of, um, I mean, other than honey, other than Tokai, other than rum, um, it's probably these uh, Umbriana barrels that are going to be coming out here. Something in. Huh? Automatically in. Yep, Ben. Yes, yep. Ben. For that, two. That Smell, smelled six. awesome. Yep. Yeah, those <laughs> that project in particular has geared a lot of attention. I'm And I was telling you guys earlier, I probably have a list of about 50 people that want to buy yep. Eight fifty-three. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> well, we've had about uh, every check. single group that comes through try to buy the actual yeah. barrel, our first release off of us. So check books and, in the car. And I'm not joking. I really do have a, a an Excel spreadsheet. We got with, a bank guy. And, well, <laughs> I literally have that list of every single group, liquor store, even distributors that just want to have that product. And it's something very, very unique. And for those like who don't are aren't aware of what Umbriana is. Um, that's that Brazilian oak. It's that wild, like cassasha base. And it's a very, very spicy. Oh, yeah, it's a very spicy wood. Um, it's going to be Starlight's very first uh, quote unquote cigar batch. Um, and again, that is going to be after the aromatics. And you guys, you three, I think of all, you know, at least smelled it or know what that Umbriana tastes like. And I don't think anybody will disagree that it has that big baking cigar spice to it. And again, that project, the first two barrels will be out. Again, I'm not going to quote a day. Sometime between, you know, that late May, early June is when, you know, our first two single barrels are coming out. Two very different takes onto, you know, two very different styles of bourbon that went into these casks and that we're going to release them at the same time, get people's opinion on it so we can do batch two a little differently. Um, but, you know, those who are going to come out to the party, I think they'll be knock on wood quite a few people that are going to be you know up here to be able to try the difference between you know the two unique umbrianas at the start um and then of course a larger that might hit you know a little bit in different park or different pockets all over the united states will be you know later in that q4 that you know around thanksgiving time and you know around that range good deal good deal well, all right, fellas, if you don't mind, tell, tell everybody a little bit more, you know, as far as like Starlight, where can they find you? What's it look like? What's the best way to get a hold of you for future barrel picks, things to that nature? And, and we'll just sign off on our side. Yeah, well, I will say you can find us on uh, uh, www.huberwinery.com, www.starlightdistillery.com, or you can find us on Instagram at Starlight Distillery. Um, and then, and of course, if you're looking to do a barrel pick on our website, there is a barrel um, pick like form that you can do. Um, again, that gives you an opportunity; doesn't guarantee you one. Um, as as you know, with the popularity of our single barrels, it's uh, we're uh, being very selective this year. You know, getting that age statement up. But again, if you're interested, definitely fill out the Google form and ask you a bunch of questions. But again. It's always been a pleasure to have you guys on and talk to us. Always a fun time. Absolutely. And if you want to find Bourbon Barrel Talk, you can find us on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. You, you can email us at bourbonbarreltalk at gmail.com. You could probably find us at the bar, too. You can find us at the bar. You can find us at Starlight most of the time. You know, the Starlight Bar in particular. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you can find us house. all over the place. So uh, this is Scott, Matt, Josh, Christian, and Blake signing off. Thanks again, fellas. Peace. Thank you. Peace.